everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 603, 4th of July weekend. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joins us with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things are going well. Happy 4th of July to you and to all of our American listeners out there. Oh, thank you. Are you going to be celebrating the 4th of July? I know you are a big pro-America guy over here. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm, 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 despite my reputation, I don't think I'm an anti-America guy, but no, I will not be celebrating. In years past, have done, you know, tried to had some fourth and fourth of july themed food but but not this year what are those hot dogs <laughs> pretty much hot dogs hamburgers <laughs> but speaking of the fourth of july i thought i would turn the tables on you slightly usually it's you oh qui- usually it's you quizzing me on various topics i thought i would test your americanness with a quick fire fourth of july themed quiz oh i had an american quiz for you as well so well, i have to- <laughs> Double up after this. <laughs> yeah, you can see. Hopefully, they're not exactly the same this questions. This is the beauty of pre-planning our podcast. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so I'll start you off with an, an easy one, but okay. it might be a little bit more of a challenge for some of our listeners from around the world. But how many stars were there on the first American flag? I'm going to go with the easy with the, I think should be the easy answer, but it could be a trick question. I'm going to go with 13. You are correct. 13 okay. stars, 13, 13 stripes colonies. to represent the original 13 colonies. Do I have to name the colonies now? No. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, let's go to then... How hard should I get it for you? Let's go with... My, my American history is not very good, so... It's all right. We we won't we won't be too. How many U.S. presidents have been born on the Fourth of July? Wow, um, is that including Bruce Springsteen or not? It's including both Bruce Springsteen and Tom Cruise. Okay. How many presidents are born on Fourth of July? I'm gonna go. One seems too obvious, so I'm gonna go three. Well, he should have gone with the obvious answer because it Damn. is one. Only it's one? Only one. It's Calvin Coolidge. One of oh. the one of those US presidents who is very good at turning up on trivia questions. Yeah. On the if we move on then to the next question, the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia is ceremoniously rung. Wait, wait, real quick. Do you know do you know Coolidge's what Coolidge's slogan was in his presidential campaign? I think he was in the forties, right? Coolidge? Uh, it was before that, but no, I do not know. Or 20s, sorry, not not 40s, 20s, I meant. I meant after World War One. he was. I do not know what his. Sure. He was, was president like, 23 to 29. So It was like, keep cool and keep Coolidge, something like that. I thought that was like so cool. I remember that because we used to do that. I used to be, I was in AP history and you have to remember the presidential slogans. I remember that one was keep cool. It's a valuable piece of information to learn in a history class. Presidential slogans, <laughs> teaching you all the right things. And so, that's sort of America. 
Yeah. So the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia is ceremonious, ceremoniously rung every Independence Day. How many times is it rung? Ooh. That's a good question. Is there any reason to it? Can I get a hint? There's a reason to it. I'm going to go with four. And what was your reasoning for four? No particular reason. I was thinking maybe the majority of major wars they've won. Okay, interesting. So again, the answer is 13. You could have doubled down on the the original colonies theme. Which U.S. president held the first 4th of July event at the White House? Oh, let's go with Grant. Oh, that's pretty late. It was actually fairly early on. It was Thomas Jefferson. So, oh, okay, July fourth, eighteen oh one. So the U.S. They dug was, into that patriotism early. They, they did, and that was just after the White House had become occupied. It had only become occupied in November of that year. So, or November of the previous year, I suppose, November eighteen of eighteen hundred. So they they got right to it. How many times does it say? I don't have those details. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) How many times do the words the United States appear in the Declaration of Independence? I'll go trick answer and say one. (laughs) I guess the trick answer I would have thought would have been zero, but you're still wrong. It's twice. So it appears... Once in the beginning and once in the end or something. (laughs) It appears in the introduction to the text where it says the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Oh, I didn't know that part counted. (laughs) And once in, you're right, once in the final paragraph where they say, we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America. But the Second Second Continental Congress did not formally name what had been called the United Colonies the United States of America until September 9th, 1776. So after. Yeah. And how many U.S. presidents have died on the 4th of July? Oh, so this one, I know it's either... Oh, shit. I've heard this before. I'm going to go two. You are correct. Both John Adams and Jefferson both died on the 4th of July, and they died on the 4th of July in the same year, in 1826. They died within hours of each other. So both the second and third presidents of the United States died on the 4th of July on the same day of the same year. I'm, I, I remember hearing that. I think one was 90 and the other one was 80. Two yeah. or something like that. So there we go. Why don't we end on a positive note there with a, yeah. a correct answer to the question. And, and you can you can flip things back on me and, and throw whatever American-themed questions you have for me. Well, mine's a little easier, I think, for you and sports-oriented. But I could make it yeah. tricky and say you have to do it in order, but I won't do that. 
I'm looking for the top five most valuable sports teams, according to Forbes magazine. Exclusively American sports teams, you mean? American or? sports teams. Okay, I'll say Yankees are number one. Yankees are not number one. Okay, but Yankees they are, are in the top five. Four. Uh, four. Okay. They're right, top, put, there's, there's two tied for fourth, so let's okay. just say they're fourth. Uh, I'll say the LA Lakers. LA Lakers are not in the top five. Shit. <laughs> that makes me <laughs> question whether there's an NBA team in the top five then. Well, I think that should give you your answer. I, I mean, I assume it's no, because I would have thought the Lakers <laughs> are the most valuable NBA franchise. I guess maybe you could argue like potentially the Knicks or something, but... I'll say no NBA team then. L.A. Dodgers. L.A. Dodgers are not in the top five. Okay. And New England Patriots. The New England Patriots are number two on that list at $6.4 billion. The New York Giants. The New York Giants are number five on that list at $6 billion. So if we have two tied for fourth, does that mean I have to name six? No, that was that was the one tied for fourth, but I'll just say the okay. fifth. So you have number two, number four, and number five. I'm going to assume that the remaining ones are just NFL teams. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers are not on the list. Sorry, no one likes Heinz ketchup anymore. Or LA Ra- ketchup for that matter. L.A. Rams? The L.A. Rams are number three. That was the tricky one, which I'm surprised that you're getting that one before the number one answer. The number one answer above. I mean, on the 4th of July, this is pathetic, Eddie. The Philadelphia Eagles? No. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was the 4th of July theme. I thought that's why you. They are literally America's team, Eddie. Oh, the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) There you go. That's true. It's surprising I didn't think of them. (laughs) Yankees and Cowboys should have been the go-to thoughts. It's true. Yeah. The, the Rams, I think, is very tricky. That, to me, is just market size of just being an L.A. team versus... I don't know how much I trust these valuations, though. They seem way off consistently, in my view. But Well, what's crazy is they were purchased in 2010 for $750 million. And they're now supposedly worth $6.2 billion. So that's quite a nice investment. Yeah. I mean, because it's always interesting to me, like when they when you see the global rankings and they'll, rank, they'll say that, you know, sometimes you'll see sort of the Yankees are more valuable than like Real Madrid. It's difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around that in terms of what the global value of the brand is. At the same time, I guess the one benefit to sometimes with American sports is obviously you're dealing with a really small number of available teams to buy. So it kind of inflates. Like if you want to buy an NFL team, it's not like buying a European football team where you maybe have 50, 60 that you could realistically choose from. And you could even get more creative than that if you wanted to. You're you're really dealing with, you know, across all American sports, 30-ish in each sport. So I'll give you two bonus. What would be the first NBA team to appear on the list? Is it not the Lakers then, seeing as that was my guess? 
The Lakers are number 10, but there is a team at number eight above them. It might be the Golden State Warriors, although I'll call bullshit on that, but it might just be that they've, you know, it's just It is the Golden State Warriors. I call it. They are apparently 0.1 billion more than the Lakers. All right. And what's the other bonus? What is the first international team on the list, according to Forbes? I'll say probably Manchester United. It's not Manchester United. Oh, boy. That makes it tough. Um, is Manchester it Real United Madrid? Number 19 on the list. Real Madrid at number 13 at $5.1 billion without taxes. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. If, if you imagine like the trade scenario, who says no? If the owners of Real Madrid called up the owners of the of the New York Yankees and were like, "Do you want to just can we house swap here?" I can't imagine the Yankees being like, "Yeah, no, we're 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 fine with this. We've got, we've got yeah. the sport that literally no one really cares about that much." And like, I guess the one thing going for the Yankees is the logo. You're you're, you're getting a lot of revenue off people buying Yankees hats who have no idea who the Yankees are. But yeah, I mean, the Chicago Bears at number six. If oh no way! Called the Chicago no Bears. Way. No way! If the Glazers, if the Glazers, who obviously uh, you know own Manchester United, if they're and are trying in the process of trying to sell it, if they were like and called the Kasky family, the owners yeah, of we're the like, Bears. do you want to just swap? <laughs> we'll we'll like we'll somehow get rid of our ownership of of the of Tampa Bay, but we'll we'll give you we'll just take the Bears over and you can have Manchester United. There's no way the Bears owners say no, we're fine. <laughs> This is no, going really well for us. Bears fans. <laughs> they might be, but it's just unimaginable. And again, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's revenue figures that they're able to base this on to a certain degree, depending on the sport. Certainly with Manchester United, it's a publicly listed company. So they obviously have a sense of, of what, you know, they're, how they're performing each year. I don't know how that works for some of these sports think, teams. Do you think possibly the, the no salary cap that you have in – in European football kind of limits some of the money you can make. Whereas with, with like football, it's a pretty low salary cap compared to European football. And you know that you're making a ton of money. No, I think that's a fair point is there is an, like the Glazers aren't making money on an annual basis off of owning Manchester United. However, their original investment has is now worth several times what it was when they bought the club 20 ish years ago. But yeah, you're right. Like as an NFL owner, you are making money every season. And transfer are, fees. Yeah. And you are guaranteed to make money every season. So that's a valid point. I don't know how, and I guess true of the Yankees, I suppose as well, but I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't be in a rush to buy the New York Yankees. I'll say that. If 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 I suddenly have billions to spend on a sports team. a little different because the Yankees like... They kind of like transcend baseball, right? Like I think almost anyone, if they know anything about baseball, it's that the Yankees are a baseball team. It's true. Now, speaking of America, as our transition maybe away from the quiz questions, I don't know. Have you seen the U.S. women's national team promo for the World Cup that came out on Fox? Yeah, where they bash every other country. Yeah, where, who, who can beat us? Who can beat us? Hey, have, hey, back-to-back champions. I have never seen, in a world where people love to make fun of England for uh, its coming home 
chants and song. Who makes fun of England for that? To, to <laughs> literally release a commercial where you're just like, World Cup's coming up. Can anybody beat us? I don't think so. I I cannot imagine as a player. And look, there obviously there's not a comparison between England, England's men's team and the U.S. women's team in terms of success over the last 20, 30 years. So I understand it's not a fair comparison from that perspective. They are a dominant force in women's international football. But I cannot imagine being a player. It's so insightful in terms of their mindset and their images of themselves that they sign off a pre-tournament promo that is literally nobody can beat us. And they won't be able to unless they cancel our flight or uh, try and steal some of our players or, you know, like cheat, basically. That's the only <laughs> way anyone can beat us. Hey, they're back-to-back champs. No team in men's or women's World Cup has ever won three in a row. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's less of an achievement in the women's game just because of the... Well, they just haven't been playing as long. <laughs> they haven't been playing as long, but also just there's not the same number of developed countries, right? So it's only yeah. the men's game feels like you have to get past sort of more countries effectively. In the women's game, you're dealing with like three or four who are, you know, really in with a chance. And there's a huge drop off from them to the to the rest. But yeah, I mean, let's see. I, I got to admit, in my anti-American take of the day, it makes me really want to watch them lose. Like I... <laughs> You know, the, the internet is kind of undefeated, and I cannot wait to see them lose, which they probably won't. But if they yeah, do they lose... Have, they already have excuses. So I already read two articles on the, the Women's World Cup team, and in both articles, they're like, you know, they should they should win again, but they've got so many injuries, and they've got this going on and that going on. And like, so the excuses are already there if they don't win that it's be, it's due to, you know, freak injuries that they have. So their captain is out. Um, and then, um, oh, fuck, who else? One of their other best uh, midfielders is out as well. There's like, just like tore an ACL like a month ago. And then Julie Ertz is back after having a kid like six weeks ago. <laughs> so it's not that long, not that soon. But it was like, it's, it's like her first competition back since going on uh leave well i'm glad they have the excuses ready but i still will just relish in anything all the content that comes out if they do lose and again i'm not specifically targeting either the women's because i think there's been an unfair backlash to the backlash of you wouldn't say this about a men's team like uh, some of the responses i saw was hey you wouldn't criticize a men's team in this way. And I would a hundred percent criticize any men's sports team in exactly the same way. If the Kansas city chiefs next year came out with a, like a preseason promo where it's Mahomes and Kelsey saying who could possibly beat us. And you know, <laughs> they've already done that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I would, still, I would still, I would be just as critical of them. And the same, if the England men's team for some reason decided they just all lost their minds and ahead of the next Euros comes out with a come out with a video saying who could beat us. I would I would have exactly the same reaction. So yeah. It's it's made me I'll give them credit, it's made me slightly more interested in the women's world cup. So mission accomplished, I suppose. 
Yeah, going to be tough for uh, Americans to watch it, but I did see that they made a rule in like a bunch of major cities that the bars can stay open 24 hours so that people can attend to watch the matches. Great. That's yeah. There's going to be some passionate alcoholics. <laughs> like, hey, John, why are you in the bar at three in the morning? I just love. <laughs> I just love the women's World Cup. I just love it. Can't miss. Can't miss a match. And you know it's in Australia, so tough to watch. Yeah, we will have to see. They have a tough group stage: Netherlands and Portugal. Although the article I read just completely <laughs> dismissed Portugal like so bad, like ah, they're no good. <laughs> they could easily beat Portugal. Although Portugal did draw against England, the defending Euro champion, U.S. has no problem against them. <laughs> it's like so dismissive. Uh, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna make the commercial of that, the, of the commercial, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they just write all of the all of the previews for the entire tournament. Yeah, speaking then of, I suppose, some slight controversies. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to speak. Right, last episode, we spoke about the Ashes mid-second test. Oh. Right, we have a, a chance to quickly speak. England lost, went on to lose that second test, although they, they kind of found themselves in a position to win it in the fifth day. They were four wickets down, needing 70-ish runs, I think it was, about 70, 71 runs. When I think you should clarify. I think Ben Stokes found a way to win it. So <laughs> I'm going to... Shoulder. <laughs> he did. However, and before we discuss the Johnny Bairstow dismissal, I am going to... This is... If, if I were on a first take, this is this is my hot take. I think as wonderful as he was in his 155 or, or whatever is, you know second inning score was his dismissal was stupid and once yeah. England I understand him just kind of swinging for the fences once Bairstow was out and and at that point they needed 150-ish and it was a thought of well he's gonna have to score 85 percent of these runs and time is his enemy but once they got down to double digits and they had they were then favorites at that point and there was an easy way to pick up ones and twos and to really try and get that score down to kind of the 30 40 ish mark where even if he then got out they would have really stood a solid chance i don't know why he continued to play with kind of reckless abandon and then i'll level the same criticism at Ollie Robinson when he then came in and the shot that Stuart Broad played to, for him to get out. And you know, they then strung, they strung together this 10th wicket partnership that then got them into that 30, 40-ish range with their two worst batsmen at the crease. And it proved just how dumb they were to basically throw away three wickets for like three runs when if you know you were in the stage of thinking, we just need each remaining wicket now to be a 15 run partnership and we're winning this match. And again, it's hard to be too critical of Ben Stokes because it was an incredible innings and he did nearly single handedly carry them to victory. But again, it's the basball criticism. It's wonderful, but there are moments when you maybe need to common sense has to prevail and you can think, yeah, you know what? We're only 70 runs off this and we have four wickets remaining and we can pick up a one a single pretty much whenever we want so let's just do that and and really put australia under pressure here if this were first take they'd be on to the next show by now eddie 
How critical yeah, are you, Jesus? <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I think it was just sloppy. It was it was a sloppy play by Stokes. But I agree with you. I mean, I think that's what you're going to get. If you're going to get 155 that way, I think you're going to get a sloppy ball like that. And it's 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 tough, I think. It's tough to criticize at the same time because they got to 155 because he was taking risks. And it's hard then, I think, to really say like, okay, this is the the over now where I'm going to start taking less risks, even though me taking these risks got us to a point where I now have to make the decision of when to be less risky starting at like a certain time. You know, so like it's, it's a little difficult, I think, to do, I think, for him probably in the moment, especially. So I can't fully criticize him. I, I mean, I also think that the Barristow definitely was in his head a little bit. And I think that was fueling him a little bit too, trying to like be hero, you know. I think certainly in the initial, Bearstow got out and then he sort of exploded in the subsequent yeah. <laughs> over. That was definitely, and I think that was because he felt as if we've probably lost this now. And so I may as well just go for it and try and swing momentum back in England's way, which he did. And you're right. Look, live by the sword, die by the sword. So, you know, at what moment can you praise his brilliance and then say, ah, oh, that was one delivery too much. But again, for our listeners who don't, you know, follow or really understand cricket, kind of easy parallel, I suppose, is to be like a NFL comeback going for it on fourth downs. And now you're down th- by three points and you're in field goal range. And instead of just taking the three points to tie the game up on fourth and six. Let's say they you're were, down six. <laughs> no, they, they were favorites at that point. They were b- betting odds favorites, win viz, the statistics that they use to calculate favoritism. They were favorites in every – I mean, you got to do it. They, they needed 70 – I think it was 71 runs when he got out. They had four wickets yeah. remaining. Like it's very easy because England's tail order is so bad. It's easy to be like, well, Anderson's a walking w- wicket, so like what's he going to contribute? But, you know, if, if rolls – I mean, we watched Australia do basically the same thing in the first test with – two wickets remaining where they managed to just string, yeah. you know, it's like, cause 70 runs goes to 50 runs really quickly, goes to 30 runs really quickly. If you're just picking up three, four and over in these singles. And he got to the thing that I also would say again, to be slightly critical of him, his not trusting Stuart Broad at first made a lot of sense. But by this point, Stuart Broad had been in for a significant amount of time and didn't really look particularly threatened. So he could realistically entrust Stuart Broad with two to three balls and over and Broad would have probably picked up the odd single and, and done okay. You know, you, he was going to be seeing the ball at that point as well as he ever is going to at this stage of his career. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was naive, which I think is just the, the overall assessment of England's test play at the moment. Yeah, down 0-2. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty much toast. The, the possibilities of them winning three tests in a row, I'd say, is it's slim to none. But then that brings us on to the Johnny Bairstow controversy. So, again, kind of difficult one to explain for those not familiar with the sport. But basically at the end of an over, he sort of completely stopped paying attention and stepped out of his crease. And Alex Carey, the Australian wicketkeeper, instantly threw the ball at the stumps and hit the stumps just after Johnny Bairstow had just stepped out of his crease. From Johnny Bairstow's perspective, he thought it was a dead ball. He thought that... The over was finished. The thing that makes him look bad is on the two previous deliveries, he'd basically done the same thing. 
It's just that Alex Carey hadn't shied at the stump. So it's not as if you could say it was exclusive either to that delivery or to it being the final ball in the over. And they did say it was definitely premeditated because of that, because they had noticed he was doing that. Yeah, and and look, wicketkeepers try it all the time. Johnny Bairstow tried it in in that very test against Marnus Labuschagne. So, and that's where there's a degree of hypocrisy from this England team, I think, is that there's been people calling them hypocrites for a lot of reasons. I think most of them are incorrect. But the the only way you can really say they look like hypocrites is that Johnny Bairstow himself attempted pretty much exactly the same thing against Marnus Labuschagne in exactly the same test match. But by every letter of the laws, he was out. But it calls into, talking about the preambles we spoke about in the Declaration of Independence, it calls into this mention (laughs) in the the preambles of the laws of the game, this spirit of cricket, which gets brought up consistently uh, when debating behavior within the game, which is this idea that the kind of good of the sport and sportsmanship is supposed to be an ever-present kind of concept within how you Which conduct I also don't yourself. get, though, because with the level of sledging that they do, right? Like, so this is the I've tough had one. Is is horrific things said to, to each other? Yeah, and this is the tough thing, right? There are moments when we sort of invoke this spirit of of the game theory and others we don't. For example, Stuart Broad, who was highly critical of the Australians, both post-match and when he came out to bat. I mean, he told, he congratulated, as far as sledging go, either goes, I thought it was actually a pretty good one. He congratulated Alex good. Carey on on this is the thing he was going to be known for. I thought that was, yeah, that was a fair assessment. But, you know, Stuart Broad's famous for not walking and once didn't walk in an Ashes test match when he had very clearly edged the ball to to slip. So, you know, why did, why is that outside the parameters of spirit of the game? I think the only argument you can make is that we have accepted certain types of behavior in terms of not just walking or I'm not going to say cheating, but kind of bending the rules. And then there are these other areas where we feel like the spirit of the game has to be upheld. And trying to benefit like the runouts when a player isn't properly running is kind of one of the few remaining sort of bastions of that of that concept but again it's it's a tricky one i would have hoped if 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 that if i were australian i would have hoped in the moment for the appeal to be withdrawn which was the option available to the australian team is to withdraw the appeal and to allow Bearstow to remain in but he was out. I mean, there's no disputing the fact by that he under like there's no technicalities there. Yeah, and I saw there was a lot of they were interviewing both former Australian and English cricket players, and and both like both sides argued both sides. It was pretty interesting. Where you know there were some Australian people, exactly like you said, you know, like ah, I I wouldn't have done it. Or I would have wished they'd kind of let it go. And then other ones that were like, hey, you know, that's. That's an out. It is what it is. And then the same on the English side. There were like, I would say more English words saying that, you know, like that's his fault, you know, like be smart in the game, you know, just like it's it's a very minor thing. Like it, you don't have to do that. Like just play a little smarter and you're not in that situation. Oh, it's incredibly dopey. Again, it's one of those things playing cricket as a kid. It, it's, it's sort of one of the five things you would get told 
don't just wander out of your crease. Like that would be, you know, every little kid learning to play the game right now is, is being told exactly that. It's kind of like to give an example, I guess in baseball is when you were younger and you would get a walk and you'd go to first and really quickly the pitcher would throw the ball to the first baseman and he would have it there. Whereas then like when the guy who was like walking to first, if he stepped off the bag as he was walking, you would like tag him out kind of like that. And you were taught since you were like four years old, like if you get a walk to first base, walk to first and stand on first, don't walk off it because then you could be out, you know, like, it's even more, I think, a little more egregious than that because it's it's like that was like a sneak play, whereas this like wasn't sneaky in in a sense, like he wasn't like hiding it. Um, but yeah, there's no tr- there's no trickery involved in this. Yeah, but yeah, you're you're right. It is it is similar to just dumb awareness or presence on certain pickoffs in baseball. It's a, it's like just wandering off your base and not paying attention to where the ball is. It's you know, it's exactly that. But yeah, there is no absolutely no trickery involved on the part of the Australians. But so my yeah. question to you, though, Eddie, is with that all aside, what was your take on some of the members who are then being pretty aggressive at the Australian players as they were coming in for that would have been what lunch? Yeah, or tea? That was it was lunch, I think. Lunch. Um. Yeah. So I'm not in. I'm not in favor of that. You know the the. The MCC members are supposed to be, you know, it's such an honor. It takes decades to become to, you know, you have to be endorsed by two existing members. And obviously you have to wait for people to die basically to become an MCC member. And it is supposed to be, you know, the MCC is the organization that sets the rules of the sport and Lords is the home of cricket. And there's, you know, you're, you're expecting these to be gentlemanly lovers of the sport. And it's one of the things at times that, for example, walking through the long room, the, the room in which you go through, the players go through, you know, it's a unique experience that you have to enter the field of play through this member's pavilion and that you are within touching distance of spectators. And it's kind of your honor to be amongst them to a certain extent. And for the most part, typically MCC members conduct themselves extremely well and there's an appreciation of the sport and not just bias for, you know, England. They overstep the mark in terms of the chanting, the cheats, and, you know, to a certain extent, I think Australia slightly deserve it, but they deserve it from the the sort of more general public, like when they're out playing. I don't think many of those MCC members would be proud of their behavior. What I will say, again, some people have called England hypocrites, for that level of behavior and then also being critical of Australia for not withdrawing the appeal, they're two completely separate issues because one is how does a select group of spectators carry themselves at a match versus the players on the field and the decision of those players in the moment. And I can be critical of the Australians for not withdrawing an appeal and be critical of the MCC members. One doesn't justify the other in my mind. But yeah, I think I think I would be, I definitely put it this way. I mean, I have family members who are MCC members. I don't think any of them would have been standing there chanting cheats and kind of gesturing and pointing at the Australians as they tried to make their way through a fairly narrow passage. Bad luck. <laughs> Not a great look. And again, it's one of those pathetic look. (laughs) It's just people get swept up in a crowd, right? You just have to 
keep in mind the average age of the people there is probably like 75 and you know just which i think makes it way worse it does because it's just these like old guys kind of semi-physically threatening people who would just kill them if they really you know if, if like it got down to Carry, it. carrying wicked bats <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if it had just if a, a fallout brawl had broken out even though the mcc members significantly outnumbered the australian cricketers all of my money would have been on the Australian cricket team to make their way out of the long room. So, you know, again, it's, <laughs> it's just kind of stupid. But yeah, it's, things are not looking good for, there was a lot of confidence as listeners will have seen from when we had Dan on, you know, that was, I think he was fairly reflective of just overall English confidence coming into this Ashes series that, England were riding a wave of the last 12 months and that Basball had kind of broken test cricket and that they were just going to blow the Australians away. And uh, in the end, they've lost two tight five over te- five day tests, which is kind of not what it would have been expected coming into the series, I suppose. Then just given the nature of the defeat, let alone the defeats, but it is an absolute mountain to climb at this stage. And I just cannot see them doing it. Yeah. So, I want to ask your opinion. I've been getting a lot of Instagram, like, random posts on... uh, No, I do not think Idris Elba will be the next James Bond. (laughs) No, that's Facebook. That's selective (laughs) to Facebook. (laughs) I saw a new one the other day. The odds are are shifting again. Tom Hardy's back in the mix for a 14th straight time. These odds that that only exist in your universe and the people who t- heavily target you. But yes, go on then. What 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 has Instagram been throwing at you? The potential for FIFA to approve the new offside rule. And I don't know if this is true or not true because it's really hard to figure out sometimes if it's a legitimate Instagram site or not. And the new rule that they are saying that they might test is that the full, the the entire body has to be offside for it to be offside. And that's the, uh, uh, who's implementing that? Uh, Weg, um, Arsene Wenger has yeah, been the big, yeah, yeah. the big proponent of this rule change. For and they said they might test it out in, in matches coming up. Yeah, no, I'm 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 in favor of it. Uh, you know, there there is a there's a. Does that not completely change the game? Not really, because I mean, here's the thing: is we, we all grew up with this idea that that you, there had to be daylight between defender and attacker, which has never been the rule. It was just guidance that was given to the touch judges, linesmen, lineswomen, lines people, to help them to better assess if someone was offside so that you needed to see sort of clear evidence, that clear gap between the attacker and the defender. And to a certain extent, whilst that uh, daylight concept has never been officially part of the rule, it seemed the, the sort of sensible interpretation of the law. And this would just be truly putting that into place. And to me, it just makes more sense than the idea of your big toe is like slightly longer than the defender's big toe. And so you're offside when you, you weren't gaining any tactical advantage by, you know, that minuscule sort of element. Ultimately, 
the controversial decisions will boil down to the same thing, which is analyzing to the nearest pixel and saying, oh, here is <laughs> the back of his foot is just in line. And uh oh, this time around, there is a slight gap between the back of his foot and the front of his foot. So we're kind of just shifting the goalposts, but remaining in the same discussion. But I do think overall, it's a more understandable and relatable rule. Yeah, but they always have to put in these stipulations that will make it tricky. Because I think I had seen the stipulation was it was um, just some part of a body that's able to play the ball has to be behind the defender. So there will for certain be a situation where like someone's arm is behind and they're going to argue like, like at what point does it become an arm versus like the shoulder? And I can see this already happening. Well, that's the same now. Like your hand can be in front of a defender. You can't be offside through your hand. So it's the same now. They do that analysis of body parts, which you can legally use to touch the ball. But I, th- but I think it's a little more controversial going the other way. I suppose. Like to me, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, right? Like because right you now. Lean to the, you can like lean as you're like this, running and like lean and put it in. I mean, and still be onside. Not really. <laughs> What you're advocating for listeners who are unclear, he's Frank is is arguing that you could kind of run leaning backwards. <laughs> you run, yeah, you yeah, yeah. No, I don't you think the tilt to your side. I think you might be losing out in other ways for whatever small gains you get from sort of maintaining an onside. Is it any weirder than how Sterling runs? <laughs> well, he might. Yeah, exactly. He might be. But no, I think again. I just think that's. You're never going to eliminate all of the debate. And ultimately, I mean, this is the, it just needs to be clear because, you know, VAR as it's currently used, certainly in the Premier League, is just a mess. You know, it's supposed to be there to remove the clear and obvious mistakes. And instead, it seems to be impacting sort of every area of the game in pretty much every match. And you don't know if when a goal is scored, if you can properly celebrate and stuff. And this would at least, I suppose, I guess if you were trying to defend this rule the most, if you were watching a match live, you would have a much better sense of whether a player was potentially offside because you would know, oh, he was really in front there. And so it would be much more, let's go back and look at this replay to see if he is onside versus in the current situation, you watch a match live and you think, oh yeah, he was, he was onside there. And then we sort of analyze the millimeters and find a small part of his body was slightly in front. And so he's offside. So I guess it would hand things, it would be a much more natural viewing experience. You'd have a better sense in real time as to whether or not a goal was possibly going to be ruled out, which is a major improvement to me because there's nothing more frustrating than five minutes after a goal was scored. Again, going through pixel by pixel analysis, you figure out like, oh, Erling Holland, his knee was just fractionally in front of the defender. So no goal, even though he scored it with his head, no goal. Yeah. And for those who are interested, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is the current two to one favorite to be the next James Bond, while Henry Cav- Cavill, or Cavill, however you want to say it, is four to one next favorite. Who, who's the favorite? Aaron Taylor Johnson. Who, who is that? He's been favorite for a while. Uh, he was most recently in Bullet Train. He was okay. one of the brothers. If you ever see the movie Bullet Train, there's like the two brothers in it. He's one of the brothers. He's in Tenet. Um, okay. He got famous with the movie Nocturnal Animals. I think it's the famous one. 
that he got right. like super popular from. It's 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 kind of an outsider, but he's like right in that age range. He's thirty three. That's yeah. why. Yeah, I mean, most of the people they're throwing out there are just too old. Yeah, I mean, you know, Idris Elba is what mid fifties. Idris Elba is even on the board. Tom Hardy, nine to one. His, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy must be in his forties, I suppose. Idris Elba is sixteen to one. He ain't getting it. Tom Hardy is forty. Tom Hardy's 45. Yeah, he's too old. So imagine realistically, he'd have to be like 50 by the time a movie was actually coming out, which again, I mean, that's Daniel Craig age now, but you would, you would they think. They don't want to do that. Well, no, you just think if you're starting the franchise with a new person, then you don't Listen, want to Eddie, I've had all the insider info on this. No, you've had they none of the They said that they wanted to go no. back. You they said when they, when they got Daniel Craig, they said he was actually older than they wanted, and they don't want to do that again, so they want to go even earlier, like even younger this time. Oh, let's go pre-pubescent James Bond. That's what I want they to say. They want to go 13-year-old James Bond. Nice. Make ever, make all of the like sex scenes and flirting scenes really uncomfortable for the audience. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What is... What is next on the agenda? There was a perfect game in baseball. Did you see that? The, Domingo for the famed, Herman, for the the famed Yankees. incredibly valuable New York Yankees. I did see that. Yep. First since, do you know when the last one was? I think it was like 2012, something like that, I remember. 2012, Felix Hernandez of the Mariners. Yeah. If I cared more, I mean, it would obviously be very cool to witness in person. It would be up there. Like going back to, I guess, our sort of cricket experience at the Oval in the Surrey match, witnessing a perfect game, whilst kind of dull for the first six or seven innings, like it only becomes interesting when you get close to the idea of the perfect game yeah. being completed, which is the tough element of it is like most of the time it's just going to fall apart with like a, because even, even a no hitter doesn't excite me that much. So just a walk in like the eighth inning would be like, oh, fuck all of that for, for this. Yeah. But there's been 24 perfect games and there's been 319 no hitters. So, yeah, it gets us back into the realm. I know it's a topic that we've, we've sort of discussed at different moments in time, but, you know, like well, the which thing is harder discussion. Like where does perfect Eddie. game rank in the difficult to achieve sporting accomplishments? Well, I'm so glad you brought this up because I have at least for baseball the list of nine things in baseball that are more rare than the perfect game, which has only happened 24 times. Okay. Okay. At number one on the list, it's only happened once, and that was, I believe, Fernando Tatis. Do you want to take a guess what it is? Uh, I suppose it's home it's run hitting. related. It is home run and hitting related. Multiple... Like consecutive home three home runs in a row or something like that. Two grand slams in one oh. inning in the same inning. So a player hitting yeah. two grand slams in the same inning has only happened once in baseball. Whilst that's obviously rarer, it's not as impressive of an achievement <laughs> because so much of that is situational, right? You just need to be put like it's an incredible team achievement, I suppose, because you are just getting people on base, so you're just dominating an inning, but. Like you, you're you're too reliant on other factors to put yourself in a position to achieve that. Yeah, and then two just having two grand slams in an entire game 
has only happened 13 times. So that in itself is pretty rare. I will give you one, Eddie, that I think you'll like, which you kind of just hit on. The perfect game lost on the 27th batter. So the last batter of the game, you lose your perfect game, has happened 13 times. So perfect game 24 times and 13 times someone has gotten to the last batter and lost the perfect game. Would you rather be in the more rare company of having lost it or the slightly less rare company of having gotten it? <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, ultimately, I know, and we've discussed this before, right? I would rather have the Galarraga non-perfect perfect game than any other perfect game because I think you just, you're way more memorable because of the botched, final out call that's kind of the dream scenario and then getting the next hitter out like that really plays into it you're like a perfect game plus one out which <laughs> makes you unique so if i'm but i i guess oh i guess the thing is you kind of get to dine out on the blown perfect game more you know like that i would was be, gonna say yeah i think it depends like, on who you are if you're a hall of famer I think you want the perfect game because it goes in on your resume and you can say, you know, like, oh, and including two Cy Youngs, you also had a perfect game. But I think if you're a guy who played two years in the major leagues and you have the ultimate story, like, oh, you played in the majors? Yeah. Not only did I play in the majors, I had a perfect game going on until the last batter and I lost it. And the whole bar is like, oh, tell us the story, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> and I guess it also then depends how did you blow the perfect game? Because if you blow it with a walk, then no, I I don't want that. If it's you, you do want the mildly controversial, like you the close call or something that you think maybe could have been put down as an error but wasn't, you know, like there's that's what you'd sort of want. So you could really discuss it in detail versus what happened. I just walked the guy. I threw four balls in a row. Like that's, it was over. Like it just, I got too nervous. <laughs> I get the question would be for us. Let's say we had a guest on, we have a pitcher on, which do we think we discuss in more detail? The perfect game, you'd obviously just have to discuss like the mindset down the stretch. Like when did you realize you had a realistic chance? When did you start thinking about it? What, how did you deal with the the kind of nerves of it? But then I, you, you, you can kind of say I the think same I know, but I think you gotta have to discuss the perfect game more because you kind of feel bad discussing the guy who lost the perfect game. Sure, you and I want to keep bringing that up. <laughs> but again, you're right. It depends on what his career was. If it's like Clayton Kershaw sitting with us and he has a perfect game blown on the final out, he can probably pretty happily discuss that because his career resume is such that. But yeah, if you're the guy who like, hey, I had, I was a September call up, I had five starts. One of them was a perfect, like I nearly had the perfect game and then I never, I never made it back to the majors. That was it. That was like, that was my goodbye to the big leagues. Then that would be a tough one to discuss. But I mean, here's a question. Let's let me flip the question for you to a certain degree. At what point, if you were a pitcher, would you start seriously thinking about the fact that you had a perfect game going? Like what inning do you switch from, hey, I'm off to a good start to Wow, I've got a perfect game in play here. Seven. Seven? I think that's late. Yeah. No, I don't think so. 
because that's when you start getting tired too. So you probably feel like I, I would say most pitchers, their mindset has to be, I can be dominant for six innings. And then once like you get yeah. to that and you're like, wow, I'm being super dominant. And then you get into that seventh and you're like, I still feel good. They haven't gotten a hit yet. I think you start thinking about it. I think I would start to think about it at least a little bit. Like it would be a thought in my mind once I had completed the fifth inning. Like the start of the sixth, if I've got a perfect game in play, I think I start to think I'm over halfway. I've got four innings here to go. I got I'm I'm twelve outs away. Cause that at the moment where I'd be like, I think I can get twelve outs. Like it starts to sound doable. Cause you'd probably run through your mind and be like, There's plenty of times in my career where I've had twelve consecutive outs. Like that's not that crazy. So I think it would be once I completed the fifth that I would really start to. <laughs> I mean, that's when you start. That's when, because like the real, if you're going from like the sports center ESPN, when do they switch to like the perfect game watch? You're right. It's usually. I was usually seven, not until like the, like seventh ish. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. But you do, when you're watching a game live, I feel like it starts being discussed by like commentators around the fifth. And that's when you start to see the like, nobody talk to the pitcher. Like, he's going back to the dugout. Nobody talk to him. Stay away from him. Like, everybody better stand in the same place. Like, we're, that's when that zone starts. Yeah. I mean, what's crazy, too, is uh, I'm sure you've probably seen this before listeners who haven't. Uh, Domingo Herman, who had the perfect game, the game before, he pitched three innings, eight hits, eight runs. And then the game after, he pitched four innings, nine hits, three runs. So that's just what's crazy about baseball. No, yeah. And this is ultimately when you get back to the, like, where does the perfect game rank in terms of achievement? Like, it's a tough one because obviously you need some, you need a good pitching performance because you can't walk anyone. So you need control. But you fundamentally, you could just kind of achieve it through terrible hitting. Like guys just, especially nowadays, just guys swing at every pitch. And and not that it's happening every week, but it it kind of does, in my mind, make it less cool of an achievement because it just feels like ineptitude on the part of your opponents could allow you to get there. Whereas there's some other, like, I would rather hit for the cycle in the majors than have a perfect game. Probably like, I think that's actually like a more impressive achievement. There's still randomness there in terms of needing to get the double needing to get the triple, but what's happened more Eddie, no hitters or hit for the cycle. Oh boy. What did you say? No hitters were at again, 319. I'd say there's fewer hit for the cycle than that. Slightly more 343. We're very close. All right, we got to get those no hitters going so that I'm right. But <laughs> yeah, I think oh, I'll I'll put it this way: definitely, I would rather hit for the cycle than have a no hitter. What's more impressive? Because here's another one that's pretty similar: four home runs in a game or a perfect game pitching. Here's the weird thing. I would rather hit for a cycle, hit for the cycle than hit four home <laughs> That's runs. Stupid. <laughs> it's, it's stupid, but it's true though. 
It's true. That's stupid. <laughs> it's true. Even if I think of our totally chicks dig the long ball, Eddie. <laughs> Even chicks if don't, for... chicks don't dig a fucking slide and double. <laughs> chicks dig the cycle. We can say that for sure. But <laughs> for our listeners who are unaware of what the cycle is, just because we mentioned it, it is having a, hitting a single, so getting to first base on one hit, and not in this precise order, but at, in any combination. Hitting a double, so having a hit that gets you to second, hitting a triple, having a hit that gets you to third, and hitting a home run. So kind of having all of the possible good outcomes, I suppose, minus a walk. Um, I I just think I would rather – I'll, I'll say this. This is just as much – I would – if when our fast-pitch softball season kicks up again in September – I would be far more likely to bring up the fact that I'd hit for the cycle on here than if I'd hit four home runs. Yeah, because you're no way you're going to be able to hit four home runs. You can barely hit a home run to begin with. So, <laughs> no, my biggest here, 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 no, no, no. Of all the of the things, the hardest. The, the triple you, is the. Sure. I mean, the triple just in any way in a like softball size situation, like a triple is really weird, especially so, without it being ruled from an error. Yes, like there is. It's hard to imagine really how you hit a triple without, again, yeah, you're right, without someone messing up from a from the like defensive standpoint. The the triple is is the thing. I would just be weird. Oh man, I hit a triple that game. That would be strange to me. Yeah, that would be stranger. How about the immaculate inning, Eddie? That's happened 114 times. That is when a pitcher strikes out the entire side. From three straight pitches each, so, yeah, so nine, nine strikes, nine nine strikes out. in a row. Um, it's cool, but that to me is more like just weird. Oh wow, that was only nine strikes. I'm not bragging about that one, even if I'm a pitcher. That's sort of just, hey, that was because it's weird to me to think they make a bigger deal out of an immaculate inning than they would just throwing three pitches and like three ground outs. But they'll be like, oh, wow, immaculate inning. It's like, is that a better achievement than only throwing three pitches? Like, isn't, you know, they don't really sort of, you get the name for the for the accomplishment that you don't get for, wow, you just three straight, grind, three pitches, three ground outs. Like, perfect pitching. Yeah. I have one final sports topic if you don't have one. Okay, go for it. So I don't know if you saw, you know, there's been a lot of discussion this year. Obviously, Frankie DeTore, who announced his retirement coming into this season, has had a pretty spectacular what looks to be his final season. And there is a lot of discussion about should he retire, shouldn't he? And I think there's a lot of people who think maybe he'll change his mind. Clear evidence that perhaps he is not changing his mind is the fact that his new market home is going up for rent. It's a pretty spectacular house. He's basically said he doesn't need to live in Newmarket anymore. He can move to London, travel more. That's sort of part of the reason why he's retiring. So he doesn't need to live right there because obviously the only real motivation for living is in Newmarket is the ease of access to all of the, fa- the facilities that he needs. It's a pretty spectacular house. It, w- it will be available to rent for £15,000 a month. It is pretty special looking, but as part of this downside, five hundred a day, not terrible. We should consider it for Ascot next year. We'll yeah. put it on. 
it is, uh, you know, a pretty, it's got a home cinema. It's got stables because we would need those in preparation for, we can ride our horses directly to Royal Ascot, arrive in, in grand style. There's a heated outdoor swimming pool, which they're making a big deal of the heated element, which I mean, obviously not all pools are heated, but if you're going to have an outdoor pool in England, I feel like it kind of has to be heated. <laughs> Otherwise you're using that like three weeks of the year. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty spectacular. It's got five acres of land. Yeah, it's 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 pretty special. But on top of this downsizing, he is also putting a lot of, I'll say, somewhat meaningless prizes. He's won up for auction. There's quite a lot of things, and I'm just gonna say ahead of time here, I am gonna try and nab you some kind of Frankie. Dottori related memorabilia in this auction because <laughs> <laughs> there is there's crap up for sale that you you would only like if someone sees it in your house and you don't know who Frankie Dottori is it's completely <laughs> impossible to explain why you bought it but I get it like what <laughs> so for example there's a lot of just like plates and small trophies for example he has a a BBC Look East Sports Award trophy. It's a very small cup. You know, it's like for a prize that I don't think many people even know, but it's basically all of the races that are still sort of cool, but he doesn't really care about, you know, all the like plates and vases and small trophies. Oh, is there a the 2000 Guineas always... Award there? No, I'll no, that's too. That's my favorite race. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't get too, don't get too ahead of yourself. Oh, okay. There's some oh wait, am I going to get like the... Happy birthday, Uncle Bob's 60th running of the, the of the New Market Handicap special presented by Bet365. <laughs> so you could have the DFS Champagne Steaks at Doncaster. That that one's that one is available. <laughs> there's a there's there are a few, I will say. So yeah, the oh you could have the Betfred Oaks. You could have the Oaks oh. signed trophy, the trophy that he won. I'm not sure which year this is but uh that's not you know, there are uh, some maple is it no that's probably no expensive. but th- there are some there's some like cool ones there's like ones there's the criterium from longchamp of, up for grabs there's there's the baccarat longjean world's best jockey glass vase the open oh. the opening the opening bid on all of these things is 50 pounds. So I'm just interested to see like how high these things go. If they stay within the realms of reasonableness, then I will definitely be grabbing you something. And it might be, I won't buy you the absolute shittest things because some of them like books and I'm not buying you just like, this is a book that Frankie Dettori owned. Cause I don't see like, that's just dull as anything, but any of the like trophies, vases, plates, there's a bronze model of a of a horse that he rode, for example. There's there's some pictures, signed pictures. I don't think those aren't that interesting because I feel like you could just get those for less money, like a signed Dettori. Yeah. Like you're gonna pay you're gonna pay ten times as much for the signed Dettori photo that Dettori owned versus here's just exactly the same signed photo that Dettori had nothing to do with apart from when he scribbled on it. So yeah, something to 
And I'll even say this, if something else is going really, really cheaply, maybe we put it up for a, like a listener prize. If we can, <laughs> if we can nab something for a, a very reasonable price. I'll tell you what, I'm more interested in renting out his house. It's a seven bedroom. Wow. We've got for a 500 for 500 a night. It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming he won't do it that way. Right. I'm, I'm guessing he's looking exclusively. I don't think it's going to be on Airbnb. I think it's going to be yeah, long-term rental, but maybe we, but can I will say him. we'll send him a message. Okay. First, you have to convince our friend furlong to switch his wedding from <laughs> windsor Racecourse to Newmarket, and then rent the tory's house as the home base throughout the wedding itself oh, and then it's a perfect plan and we can do the race on the new market track on the straight track to be perfectly honest with you his house is big enough you could just have the wedding at the house it's true like that's he'd, he'd cool that's, that's like a wedding yeah, he's got everything. It's assuming you did it when the weather was nice. Obviously, with all that land and the, you could have a easily have a wedding there, and it would not look out of place. So maybe that's what we try and convince him to do. Could he be the first person? And then everyone, the like wedding gift is just a Tory memorabilia. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What do you mean wedding gift? Is what, like the fa- what like the, him the, or what he's no, giving no. like people. Both. Like at your table, Both. like the favor, yeah, like the party the, favor. The favor. The party favor, everyone's <laughs> getting like this some like obscure Dottori trophy he didn't want. But then in return, all of his wedding presents are the more desirable Dottori related memorabilia. <laughs> do you think we can get Frankie there and he can do a flying discount off some random horse as he comes in? Yes. That's how you... and then he officiates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how he. Yeah, and that's how you. Um, you know, that's when you know the the, the marriage is official. As soon as he does <laughs> his flying dismount. So yeah, that's that's it for me from a sporting perspective. I don't know if you had anything else less left to discuss. No, I uh, I finished the bear. Let me say, best show on TV. Highly recommend to everyone. We'll get Bill Simmons on. We can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I then yeah. started. Go ahead. I'm going to shit on Bill Simmons for a second, just because he had David Chang on his podcast recently, and they were discussing the bear as part of that conversation. And then we're also just discussing the restaurant industry and food trends as a whole. It's a topic that they like to have pop up like Ooh. every six months or so. And yeah. it's it's not really that interesting when it's coming up as frequently as it is. From like Bill Simmons knows absolutely nothing about food. Like the guy has a palate of a, of like a three-year-old. So it's not like he can, Shots fired. He's just a rich guy. Come on, you know, Bill, and defend yourself. Defend your palate, Bill. <laughs> All he's got is he just got rich guy. But they the two of them had the biggest like rich guy take considering the current economic climate it was people are just spending crazy amounts at restaurants these days it was <laughs> it was like i've never listened to a more out of touch discussion like for 99% of the people who are listening to the bill simmons podcast of just man everyone i know going to restaurants they're just buying 
you know, these super expensive bottles of wine and they're not thinking about what their bill's going to be. And it's just crazy these days. Just people just throwing so much cash at their nights out now. That's pretty good. So yeah, there's my, I don't think I've bashed Bill Simmons in at least 12 months. There's my, my mini Bill Simmons bash. Nice. I actually then though moved on Eddie to watching the train wreck. That is the idol. And that is okay. the Lily Rose Depp and the weekend show on HBO. And I, I have, you know me, I listen to a lot of ringer related uh, TV and movie podcasts and they've all bashed it and said, it's not good. And I had to see how bad it is. And it is a fucking train wreck of a show. So I have no interest in watching it. However, in my YouTube clip rabbit holes, I did see one clip from the show, which is when. Uh, Don't spoil, because I've only seen, I think, two, ep- three episodes so far. I don't think it's a particularly significant plot point, but it's when she is being like groped by, I guess it's their chef or something like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who's like complimenting complimenting her physique and fitness. And then it just descends into some of the worst acting I've ever seen. Like just a scenario that makes absolutely no sense where he then like slaps the guy, calls him out for being inappropriate, which I mean, it's, it's so over the top inappropriate that it's hard to imagine anyone being like, oh, no, I'm I'm just being normal. Like, of course, I was just like grabbing her stomach and complimenting on how flat her belly was. Like, that's yeah, that's what I do. Well, but his comment, I don't know if you saw what his, his rebuttal is. It's okay. Both my parents are gastroenterologists. Yeah. And then <laughs> I don't know what that's got to do with your abdominal muscles. Like he's not like feeling up her colon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was. He was getting deep, but and yeah. And then the weekends come back to that was like my sister's a gynecologist or something along those. No, lines. no. His is worse though because then he's like, I have a friend who's a gynecologist. Oh. You don't see me sticking fingers on people. <laughs> this is so stupid. It is. It is, and then I think the worst part of that scene, though, is the fact that this jacked-up chef is going to let a five-foot-four weekend slap him in the face with a rat tail. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's a slap out of a movie, as if like like when people, you know, sort of like old, sort of you know, set in like period pieces, when someone's like defending a woman's honor and like slaps like takes off their glove and slaps them yeah. across the face. It's that level of slap. Like the only thing, I guess if you were going to say defending it in terms of realism, if that happened to you, you would be so stunned by just, yeah. he's, he's kind of assaulted me, but he's not really there. So like, I don't know how, I don't know what an appropriate response or proportional response is to this complete lack of a physical threat where this guy is like bitch slapped me, but really not hurt or stunned me in the process. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look good. I don't know why we just need to get rid of the idea that like talented people can kind of just then do whatever they want. Like, I don't know what about has made us think that the weekend could transition into being an actor. I think this is going to hurt his career to be honest, because it is, he is just, awful on every level like the character he's playing 
in itself is just dumb and stupid, but then him acting as this character is it, it's it's like a third grader's acting. It's it's brutal. It's it's a train wreck to watch. It's almost enjoyable to watch because every time he's on screen you're like, "Oh, this is going to be good." Like, what stupid thing is he going to say that because I think part of the issue was this show has gone through like a whole different they had a director and then they fired the director like halfway through the season. And, and I think he's gotten more involved. So I think a lot of what's going on is things that he's like, you know, it'd be so dope, man, if we did this. And I said this, Oh my God. And then like, I think they're letting him do it and it is not working. <laughs> oh God. But the whole premise is real quick. The whole premise is that she meets this guy at a club and then like instantly falls for his like charm and charisma he does nothing in the in the show to like justify this fame. Like it says, it it would be like Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears level fame. That's what she's supposed to be. Falling for a not very attractive guy with a rat tail, a terrible rat tail in a club, who says maybe 12 words to her and she's like completely head over heels for this guy and then after four days they hang out and he goes you know what i should i should produce your songs and then she's like yeah it's a good idea and then he waits like 10 seconds he goes it'd be easier if i just lived with you (laughs) (laughs) i i mean what a power move I'm going to try and get Vasilis to employ that <laughs> line that's just part of his repertoire now. Like, oh, I could help you. I could help you get a career in that, but it would be easier if I just lived with you. That's... <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then he just moves in. Him and his like entourage move into her home. And no one says she has like six managers and no one says a word. And is he? He's famous, I suppose. Like how in a level of in fame, the show? yeah. Like she's no, significantly no, no, no. more. He's a nobody. He's a no, he he runs a nightclub, and like the thing is, like the mystery is you don't really know anything about him. No one knows he doesn't exist. Like no one knows anything about him, and he just runs a nightclub. Yeah, he has no music like experience or anything like that. <laughs> okay. So it's just completely batshit. It is batshit. Nice. It's great. But I do agree with you. It, it could Because this could be the thing he's sort of more well-known for. Yeah. Especially because it's been a while since he's had a hit musically. So it's not like he's riding a wave of great musical success. So it's like, oh, I remember like The weekend He had a couple big albums and he performed at the Super Bowl. And now he's just a really bad actor. Like that's... That becomes yeah. his, like the his description. Oh, I could I, I could talk all like I, I kind of wish you would watch it just because it's so bad. Like the one, <laughs> I can't even we can't even really discuss the one thing that's also very funny because it's just so like disturbing. <laughs> but it's it's great. Well, maybe maybe. If I get bored enough, I will watch an episode just so that we can collectively laugh 
and how bad a show it is. But I feel like too many of our recommendations to listeners is, or our discussions about TV shows is us not enjoying them. So maybe that would be a little too Oh, I don't think anyone thought this was good. I'm guessing he did. I just got to do one more because it's so good because it might make you laugh. So they go to, uh, I think it's like Valentino or like a very expensive store uh, in LA to go shopping, right? And so they drive up and there's just like a hundred people just randomly out there, which I guess could be conceivable because, you know, like people like to go and like look and they go crazy when they see her and they see her with this guy that no one knows with the rat tail again. <laughs> and they go into the store and he's being like really weird in the store. Like he's like kind of yelling at this, the, the male person who's helping because he's like staring. He's like, if you stare at her again, I'll fucking drag you out of this store and I'll curb stomp you in front of everyone. <laughs> Just like over the top, like so over the top. But then eventually they get into a dressing room and they start having sex in the dressing room. But then she stops him. And he's like, what am I supposed to do now? And she's like, you'll figure it out. And the next scene is him just jacking off in the corner of a fitting, <laughs> of a fitting room. <laughs> and everyone in the store can hear. <laughs> it's so good. It's like... It's like, you know, know when you return clothes and they have that little, like, that little rack that they can move around and you, like, can put the clothes and hang them up. He's, like, holding on to the rack. (laughs) And for her, is this, uh, he figured it out or has he completely misread the situation? No, she finds it hot. (laughs) Okay, so he figured it out. But she's like, she's like in the store, and he's still in the fitting room, and she can hear him. And he's like, ah, ah, and he like knocks over the fitting rack. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, I might have to watch it. <laughs> That's at least YouTube clip worthy. Is YouTube allowed to show that kind of stuff? Uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> it's it's right. insane. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, that's all I've got. <laughs> I want a, a note to end on. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. I guess I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. See ya.